0: So the first reading is taken from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And that's in on page 59 of the Church Bibles. So that's 59 of the Church Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. It's Moses and the burning bush. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to Luke, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. And then the second reading is from Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. And that's on page 1027, so 1027. So it's Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 to 21. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived me
1: um, I'm just going to introduce you to Gwyllam I'm going to ask him a couple of questions and, uh, and then it's over to you for the sermon that will be wonderful Gwyllam thanks so much for yesterday it was such a, a good time together um, you've got a very Welsh name Gwyllam Davis, but you work in St Helens in London and so how has a Welsh boy made his way to London to work Oh, well, I'm half Welsh. Are you okay? Right, better half. <laughs> yeah. um, I I kind of well, I grew up in
2: North Wales um, until I was. 10, but then we moved down south to near Newbury um, uh, whilst as a teenager, and I went to London to university, okay. and kind of wound up
1: at St Helens then yeah, uh, yeah. yeah So somewhere. quite a long time at St Helens then, is that right? Uh,
2: yeah, I guess, what is it um, um, how old am I now? It's 22 years since I first turned up there although I've had like an 8 year time out right, okay. in that time, my I goodness. went to Singapore and right. I did my stuff, but yeah, okay. yeah,
1: yeah And so you know, St Helens is a wonderful church we hear a lot about that from, from Elspeth And and from my own experience, (laughs) (laughs) and so you know, it's it's a very active church. Uh, And so, what role do you play in St Helens? And then, you know, what do you enjoy about that role? Oh, yeah, great. Well, we have um, a few things. So I'm part of the Sunday morning
2: preaching team. Um, I um, uh, we have a sort of a ministry training scheme where we've got about. I guess in an average year, we probably have about 20, 25 ministry trainees around wow. St Helens. And um, I think probably my main responsibility is to look after their training. Right, okay. um, and then um, I also look after some of the international students. So we've got a group from Southeast Asia, and, and I spent some time in Singapore doing student work. and so. Right. Um, yeah, we serve in that ministry as well. Brilliant. Uh, okay, well,
1: it's lovely to get to know you, and for, from this weekend, let me just pray for you before oh, we start. So much. Okay? Well, God, thank you so much for William. Thank you. He um, just helped us to uh, love Your Word more, Lord, so we may apply it to our lives and more ferociously so we can live for you and show you in this world. Would you please be with him as he, as he speaks now, as he brings your word to us? Would you work mightily through him and would he enjoy spending time with us? And we lift Gulem to you now as well as each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much.
2: Amen. Great, maybe could turn up Luke chapter two again. That would probably be helpful. Um, thanks so much for welcoming me here as well. It's such a privilege to be able to be here. I'm so glad that um, the border is kind of Sensibly reopen again. As in, like, you know, it's nice to be able to come back across and not feel like I'm um, uh, committing a crime being on the train. Um, and it's great to be able to see people here as well, isn't it? It's, it's wonderful to be back together. Um, uh, yeah, such a, such a privilege to be here in Cardiff with you. Um, now, um, we're thinking this morning about the Lord Jesus in the manger, uh, which you might think is not very seasonal. Um, I was at Sophia Gardens yesterday afternoon basking in May sunshine. Uh, it's glorious. I wasn't thinking much about Christmas, if I'm honest. Um, but I've got three excuses. Uh, number one, well, actually, I, I, I first thought about this passage a bit more seriously back in October, and that wasn't very seasonal either. Um, and then number two, one of the things we found going through this bit of Luke in October was that um, it really helped us to see it with fresh eyes, and that we could hear it better, I think, because we weren't, well, well, we'll talk about this a bit more, but we weren't just kind of um, submerging the whole thing um, in Christmas vibes. Um, and Number three, I'm not sure that Luke himself um, really had much of a concept of the church year when he wrote this. And so I thought that perhaps um, maybe bringing you Luke chapter 2 might be helpful for you this morning. Uh, the, chapter, the question I want us to ask as we look at Luke 2 is this. Um, what was really going on at the manger? Uh, what was really going on at the manger? And um, I wonder what you make of that scene as Mary lays the, the baby, the Lord Jesus, um, in that manger, It strikes me that on its own, without any kind of sense of context, it's extraordinarily ordinary. Um, Unlike the Christmas carols, uh, there's no celestial glow around the Christ child. Um, I don't really know with any certainty whether the Lord Jesus made no crying or not. um, But I don't have any particular reason to think he didn't. I don't see any particular reason to think he conducted himself from any other newborn baby. I'm sure it's not the most lavish nursery. There were probably better places to be born, even in the first century. It's certainly not exalted. But without the context of knowing who this child is, I'm not sure it's particularly shocking either. Uh, Babies? Babies have probably been born and laid in mangers before and since. Certainly babies have been born in much more difficult circumstances in similarly overcrowded villages this year, let alone in the last 2000s. If you had been there that night, if you'd been there, well, you might have been the kind of kind soul who sees a couple in a bit of trouble and thinks, I'm going to lend a hand. But I don't think you'd have thought that anything especially wondrous or anything especially terrible was happening. It's all so ordinary, isn't it? And anonymous as well. And by the end of um, our reading this morning, well, the end of the, the, passage last, um, the passage up to verse seven, where Mary lays the Lord Jesus in the manger, the, the baby, the child doesn't even have a name. It's not just the manger. And when you read through the rest of Luke's gospel, um, so much of it feels quite, well, at first glance, it feels quite humdrum. Um, you, you get this incredible fanfare at the beginning, angelic visitations and glory, Prophecy, praise. But then in the middle of Luke's Gospel, Jesus spends ten chapters walking and talking. Walking and talking. Occasional question from a difficult type, um, telling the odd story. Imagine that you've been there the first time that the parable of the prodigal son was told. You might have thought that this was going to be the greatest story ever told. Uh, You might have thought that um, this was the most profound teaching you'd ever heard. Listen, let's be honest. My guess is, if I had been there, I would have had the same sort of response I have when I go to see a street performer at Covent Garden. Temporarily entertained, um, maybe if I was feeling particularly kind that day and a bit reckless, I might even put my hand in my pocket. But I probably wouldn't even tell anyone about it when I got home. It's all so ordinary. Being a Christian, it feels so ordinary, which is why these first two chapters of Luke's gospel, um, they come first, especially the passage you just had read. They're so important for us because this introduction, it gives us an orientation, I an mean, all-singing, all-dancing extravaganza. It strikes the chord through which you're supposed to hear the rest of Luke's gospel It's all about the relationship, if you like, between the beginning of Luke chapter 2 and the end. The beginning, you have this very ordinary scene of Mary laying the baby in a manger. And then what comes next? It gives us a glimpse, like a window, and through which we're to see what's really going on. What was really happening in the manger? Well, look back to verse 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's a window as we switch from the manger to the fields. We get a real insight into what was really happening. And firstly, you get the sense that whole worlds are coming into contact with each other. That's our first point heaven and earth colliding and heaven and earth colliding. And certainly heaven is there. And the angel of the Lord, um, glory, uh, then a whole multitude, the very armies of heaven, uh, glory to God in the highest, now sang in a field in Bethlehem. Uh, Heaven, the throne room of the living God, heaven is there. And the earth as well, because it is quite earthy, isn't it? Now, I don't want to get bogged down um, Elspeth, warned me off politics. I don't want to get bogged down into the socioeconomic standing of shepherds in the first century. Um, either way, actually, um, I'm not sure that you're supposed to think that shepherds were the lowest of the low. Uh, well, the Bible has quite a lot to say about shepherds, and quite a lot of it's quite positive, as it turns out. Neither am I supposed supposed to think that... Well, I've heard some talks where people spend such a long time rehabilitating the biblical art of shepherding that it sounds like they're borderline aristocracy. You know, It would have been quite rude for the angels not to visit the shepherds. It's very down-to-earth, isn't it? The night shift in a field with the flock. It is very down-to-earth. I don't think the shepherds went to work that night expecting this and then... Worlds collide. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Heaven and earth suddenly in direct contact. <coughs> My wife, Jenny, her comment on this was, it's, it's the sort of thing that you can imagine happening in Doctor Who. Um, a portal suddenly opening into a lost world. Dimensions suddenly colliding, meeting. Of course, it's also quite different from what you'd find in Doctor Who, uh, because you just know that you just know that if this happened in Doctor Who, and um, behind the sort of the shimmering, luminous, beautiful face of the angel would be uh, a Dalek with another harebrained scheme to invade Planet Earth. Um, more significantly, it's different from Doctor Who, and um, because in Doctor Who, the, the collision of worlds is the exception; it's the sign that something is out of whack. It's out of joyance that that something's got disrupted, uh, and then things revert to normal when the Doctor comes. But here in Luke, it's the other way around. The distance between heaven and earth, the fact that you don't hear the praise of heaven, the fact that the glory of God isn't just around, that's the sign that things are wrong, that we're in a a world that's out of joint. This is a reversion to the norm. Heaven and earth reunited. Things put back. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. But the point is that this is the most extraordinary window into what was really happening when that mother laid her child into that cow's feeding trough. Do you want to see the Lord Jesus more clearly? Well, picture heaven and earth come close. Picture the song of the angels heard in a field. And then you begin to get a sense of what was really going on. Heaven and earth colliding. On its own, that gives the wrong impression because it still makes it sound as though this was just a flash in a pan, a temporary kind of unveiling, a a moment of revelation that then faded and went away. But actually, Luke's point, if you have eyes to see it, um, is that heaven is here to stay. What's really happening at the manger? Well, heaven has established a beachhead and heaven has landed, yes, in peace, uh, yes, with good news of great joy. But heaven is, well, forgive me for putting it this way, because right now it doesn't sound very good, does it? But in peace, with joy, heaven is invading the earth. Heaven's invading the earth. And the key is to spot the movement in the passage. It starts in heaven, everything starts in heaven, and it ends on earth as you go through. And that's there in the basic structure. Um, The first, all the angelic action, all the heavenly activities, that happens in the first bit, doesn't it, in verses 8 to 14. Um, In the second half of the passage, the angels have gone away, and you're just left with the shepherds, and Jesus, and Mary, and Joseph, the earthly characters. The same movements there in what they say in verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven, start in heaven, and on earth, peace. Um, to those on whom His favour rests, from heaven to earth. But more importantly, with that basic sense of movement from heaven to earth, there are two key transfers and um, things that start in heaven and get transferred onto the earth and stay there. Um, firstly, the praise and the glory, and um, the glory begins with the angels, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Um, the glory of the Lord shines around this angel of the Lord in verse nine, and the heavenly host. And they praise in verse 13. And and what they say in verse 14 is glory to God in the highest. And this is the praise and the glory of heaven. But it doesn't stay there. Uh, There is a transfer. At the beginning, the shepherds are fearful. They're terrified. But look where they are at the end. Look on to verse 20. The shepherds returns glorifying and praising God. The same two words, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Uh, The praise and the glory of heaven now transferred from the angels to the shepherds. It's a transfer. See, it's not just a temporary collision of worlds. Uh, See how the angels feel about Jesus. This is a baton-passing moment said, so You might say it's a, a praise invasion and glory of heaven continuing through the shepherds. Now the second transfer is the message. And again, of course, the message begins on the lips of angels. Uh, do not be afraid. The angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be... You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Um, Luke actually, and this is one of these things that you don't always notice in the translation, but he goes out of his way to emphasize that this is a word. And he he repeats this word, word, three times. Um, And so in verse 15, the shepherds say, actually, they actually say, let us go to Bethlehem to see this word uh, which we were told. And then in verse 17, they made known the word that had been told to them, And verse 19, Mary treasured up these words in her heart. And the point is that with that word, a message has been transferred from the angels to the shepherds. And so in verse 15, the shepherds, well, they say to each other, let's go to Bethlehem um, and see the word that's happened that was made known to us by the angels. But then in verse 17, the shepherds, they make it known to everyone else. The, the angels make it known to the shepherds, the shepherds to everyone else, those at the manger. It lands eventually in Mary's heart. And the point Luke is making is that the job that the angels are doing, it's actually been transferred and picked up by these shepherds. Actually, with these two transfers, they go together, really, don't they? Um, it's precisely because, it's precisely because the shepherds have been given the good news um, of the angels, the word of the angels they are able to fill some of the world with the praise and the glory of the angels. And the point is that it's not just a collision, a sort of a temporary contact between two dimensions. It's a transfer, a baton passing moment, a moment when angels hand on the baton to shepherds and the glory and praise of heaven invades the earth. And that's the real significance of the manger the glory of heaven the good news of heaven the peace of heaven invading earth you might think it's just a baby in a cot but this is the reunion of heaven and earth now this is worth taking a moment to ponder and on the one hand it explains something that you may you might find puzzling you might never have thought about it but let's do a little bit of angelology for a minute Um, Why is there such an explosion of angelic activity here in Luke chapters 1 and 2, and then so little in the rest of Luke, and even in Acts, in fact? Why are there so many angels in the Old Testament and so few in our lives? It's very striking. There are one or two angels in the book of Acts, if you go and read it. But what's quite interesting is they have a different job to do when you get there. And um, here, angels have good news. In Luke 1 and 2, angels come with the word of God. What do they do in Acts? In Acts, angels open doors. They encourage apostles. Once or twice, they kind of give some extra stage directions uh, when the messengers of the gospel have forgotten their lines. And it's not because the angels are getting lazier, um, and it's not because we're getting less spiritually perceptive. It is because with the coming of Jesus, a transfer has happened. The glory of heaven is now being made known on the earth. The good news of heaven is now being proclaimed on the earth. The the angels who came to tell us when, when humanity wasn't doing their job properly, who came to tell us what heaven said, well, they've handed on the baton. To a new humanity who can go out with the gospel. If J.R.R. R. Tolkien, of Lord of the Rings fame, if he was to write this up, I think he would say that the third age, the age of angels, is fading. The age of men has begun. A forgiven, reconciled, gospel-proclaiming men and women, their age has begun. If you have met a gospel-preaching man or woman you have encountered God's angel for this age. If you are a man or a woman speaking the word of Christ, you are God's angel for this age, the year of the Lord. Might that not reframe the next time you have an opportunity to speak to somebody at work about the Lord Jesus? On the one hand, this explains the retreat of the angels. On the other hand, it explains the Exodus links, Um, You might have wondered why we read from Exodus chapter 3, right before Luke Um, 2. One of the problems that we have when we um, listen to Luke is that we hear this chapter with the wrong backing track. Um, We hear while shepherds watched, and silent night, and frosty the snowman, um, and we imagine carolers, and candles, and fristingles, and sleigh rides, and yule logs, and tiny Tim. Um, And wonderful though some of those things are, Luke wasn't actually thinking of any of those things uh, when he wrote this chapter. I'm not even sure, and this is controversial, but I'm going to go out about on this one. I'm not even sure that the angels were accompanied by a brass band. <laughs> but Luke did have background music in mind. He did. Not carols from kings. He had Exodus in mind. And once he put Exodus chapter 3 in the background, it's all there. Um, a shepherd tending his flock will check. The angel of the Lord appearing, check. A speech about the Lord and about his rescue, check. A speech about the Lord and his rescue that ends with a sign, check. Words in the mouth of a messenger, check. Even the circumcision of a baby, it's all there from Exodus 3 and 4. It's all Exodus 3 and 4. This is Moses at the burning bush, reloaded. You know, in in the Greek, a number of the phrases are identical, Except except it's so different. Because unlike Moses in Exodus three, these shepherds don't stand around arguing with the angel. I can't do it. Don't send me. Send someone else. How about my brother? They just go and they take the message and they declare their praise. See this is Exodus, but it's Exodus done right. I've got a friend in London who went to see um, Prince of Egypt, the musical. Um, That's in the West End now. Um, And he came back complaining. He came back complaining about the way that they would changed the story. And it's true um, that in Prince of Egypt, the musical, they've they've added a couple of new songs, um, and both of them are awful. Um, No one really needed a woke cover of Exodus. But Exodus did need an update, a rewrite, if you like, Uh, not from the West End, but from God's. An exodus with a Moses, with multiple Moseses, who just go and who meet a tender heart and not a hard one, and who fill the earth with the glory of heaven. An exodus that produces a people that will do what Israel was meant to do, declare God's praise amongst the nations. Exodus 3, it was all about the appointment of a messenger. Whom shall I send? And that's what's happening here. Now heaven has messengers on the earth, a new Israel. See, it's the same point, uh, two different perspectives on the same thing. Angels handing the baton on to shepherds. Exodus done right. Two different ways of saying the same thing. This is what is happening at the manger. It's not just a collision of worlds, it's an invasion. Heaven is arriving on the earth. God's glory, his good news are here. And they are here to stay as the gospel word goes out. It may appear ordinary. It might look like nothing. And as yet unnamed baby in a world of Caesars and governors, empires and kings. Well, look through Luke's window. This is heaven invading the earth. And of course, the reason that's happening is because of who is in the manger. Uh, thirdly, uh, this morning, the king of heaven on earth to save. I look back at verse 10. The angel says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You can't escape the fact that the identity of this child is in the heart of the angel's message. Why is there good news of great joy? Why do they need not fear? Well, because of who's in the cot. Uh, To you in David's town is born this day a saviour, the Messiah, the Lord. It's an excellent summary, actually, of of the first evangelistic sermon that was ever preached in Acts chapter 2. And what did he say? Let all Israel therefore know for certain that this Jesus whom you crucified is both Messiah and Lord. So save yourselves from this crooked generation. But of course it's because of who he is, Messiah, that is the promised king. Lord, that is the Old Testament name for God himself. Come to save. That's why heaven and earth are colliding. That's why heaven's invading. The king of heaven is here in the cot. He brought his armies with him just so they could tell you what he thought. And it's time for his will to be done on the earth as in heaven. Actually, I hope you don't mind. You might think I've overdone it already, but just one more Exodus link. Did you notice the difference between the signs? Um, So in Exodus, um, uh, this will be the sign um, when you worship the Lord on this mountain. And here in uh, Luke chapter 2, and this will be the sign for you, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Um, And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think you're supposed to connect them and go, oh, right. Oh, right. It's actually the same point. The end of this salvation is that you meet the Lord himself, the great God of the Exodus, the Savior But not this time waiting at the top of the mountain. No, having come all the way down to the manger. Messiah. The Lord's. And because he's come all the way down to the manger. All the way down from heaven to earth. Because he's come to make peace. Because he's come to save. This is why heaven and earth are being reunited. And this is why good news will go out to the ends of the earth. or the king of heaven on earth to save. Now there's so much that we could say about this, and uh, we could notice the spirituality here. Uh, this is not the spirituality of the mystic, um, trying to ascend the mountain and to kind of contemplate the divine. Um, this is not the way that heaven and earth meets. No, we don't um, have to climb up to heaven to gaze on God in Himself. Christ comes close to us, and uh, we meet heaven at the manger. We meet heaven in Jesus. We meet heaven in the word about Jesus. We meet heaven here. You could talk about the spirituality here. We could focus on the peace. It's such a marvel. Please don't forget this. It's such a marvel that the king of heaven and his angelic host have come not to wage war, but to reconcile. This is something that should never cease to amaze us. Heaven could have recaptured the earth with a show of overwhelming force, shock and awe. The shepherds weren't wrong to be afraid. Actually, that's one of the ways that they cottoned on faster than Moses. You know, Moses, I wonder what that bush is. Uh, The shepherds were terrified. They were right to be terrified. The whole army of heaven was there. But this is good news. This is great joy. This is peace on earth. And by the end of Luke's gospel, peace in heaven the lord has come to seek and to save it is a wonder we could think about the peace but the reason that this is here at the beginning of luke's gospel is to get us to see things straight and here in this fanfare uh, we get a blast of just who jesus is and what he came to do and we need it uh, this might sound like just another baby story. Jesus might momentarily look like just another itinerant teacher. His death might seem like just another tragedy. This might look like just another book. Uh, what you are hearing might sound like just another talk. But it is not true. Come and look through Luke's window. This child is the reunion of heaven and earth. His death brings peace with God. This book is the word of heaven, now here on the earth. And insofar as I, or any Christian for that matter, speaks the gospel of Christ, you are hearing the voice of an angel. This is a reason for rock-solid confidence At work, at university, at school, at home. Don't be surprised when Jesus looks ordinary. Of course he does. He came as one of us after all. But don't let that deflect you from the reality. Heaven has come to earth in the person of its king. And his new people are filling the earth with his heavenly praise. That is what is really happening. That was what was really happening. When, Moses laid, when Mary laid that infant in a manger. And not for the first time, uh, Mary gives us the right response, uh, verse 19 as we close. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. And I think Luke's point, as you begin to read his book, is that if the word of the gospel, if the message of the angels and the message of the shepherds, if that has reached you, whether it's from the angels or from the shepherds or from the lips of Luke, if that's come to you, well, you should do the same. Let's pray together. Father, we want to pray so much this morning that in your kindness, you would help us to see things right, and we pray that your word would be our window on the world, and we pray that you'd help us to see Jesus for who he is, uh, the king of heaven on earth to save, and we pray that you'd help us to see the incarnation for what it was, uh, heaven and earth drawing close together. We pray that you'd help us to see the cross for what it is, uh, the place where heaven and earth make peace. We pray that you'd help us to see ourselves for what we are, um, your messengers with good news, a great joy for this age. And we pray that you'd fill our hearts with confidence, and we pray that you'd fill our lips with praise, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.